I'm putting love on the radio, spreading joy everywhere I go. There's no way to hide my hope. Oh, no, this little light of mine. Hey, I'm gonna let it shine. Telling the world to save my soul. The only way I know with love on the radio. Hello, everybody. I'm Ryan Young, live right now from the Wolverine Broadcast Network here at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania. It's great to be back with you all. Hope you, hopefully you're having a good week so far. I have been having a good week, but it's been a little bit more tiring, and I can't really explain all of the reasons why. I think it's just one of those things when you get filled with all of the schoolwork that you have to do, essays you have to write, tests you have to take, and you can find yourself getting tired and weighed down by uh, the pain of life, but remember, we got to keep the faith. We got to stay strong. We got to fight on. And hopefully, this show will be able to not only minister to you guys, but also to me. We're going to talk about all sorts of things from the latest controversy surrounding Will Smith. If you saw what took place there with uh, what is now being called the slap heard around the world, we'll talk a little bit about that, maybe lighten the mood. We also have a fun uh, special holiday for today. Uh, all sorts of things taking place. A testimony from a homeless man named Keith. You don't want to miss all of this coming up right here on The Ryan Young Show. Don't don't go anywhere. Hey, guess what day it is? Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? All right, so I'm recording the show right now, and it is March 29th, 2022. It's a Tuesday. It's also National Vietnam War Veterans Day, and uh, this holiday is obviously not the most fun of ones, but it's an important one because if you know the story of what took place in the Vietnam War, we had all sorts of people after this war was officially over. People didn't really treat the soldiers and the veterans that risked their life with much respect, so this holiday was put into place. It's got a long history. The Vietnam War was the, one of the longest wars. Um, it, in fact, actually was the longest wars involving America. It started in 1955. It went on until 1975, making it actually the second longest war alongside the ongoing Afghanistan War. And over 2.7 million Americans have served and did serve during the war in 1973. Um and uh, I guess National Vietnam War Veterans Day, this is acknowledged specifically on Mar March 29th every year, honoring anyone who served during its 20-year term. And so we want to thank you all who have are still alive that have served in the Vietnam War. If you know relatives uh, or family members or friends, we want to thank you for your service and your sacrifice for the country, for our country, and for the freedoms that we have today. Um, and because of what I mentioned previously, since respect and combat um, support was immediately given to those who served during this war uh, because of the number of deaths. Uh, we especially want to thank you for your service in this war. And my grandpa actually, well, it was a Vietnam War veteran. He also, um, he was a Marine. He was a boxer. He was a tough man, recently passed away. And so I guess this holiday uh, means more to me uh, when I connect it to, to what I know about my own grandfather. And so I guess it just reminds us we all should thank those who are in service every single day fighting for our country, fighting fighting for the freedoms um, that, that many people across the world do not have and do not get to partake in. Uh, I'm Ryan Young. This is The Ryan Young Show, live right now on WBN, the Wolverine Broadcast Network. We had a wonderful privilege um, 
a, the school paper here, the Collegian, recently actually published an article about the show uh, and particularly about my journey here to Grove City College transferring from Hillsdale. It was a wonderful thing, and I was extremely grateful to the Collegian and for Grove City staff and specifically the writer, uh, Sarah. They, they did a wonderful job on the article, and I wanted to share that with the audience because I know you guys care about the show. You care about what's taking place, and so um, we'll talk a little bit about what the article all was about. I can give you a sneak preview. It's about more about regarding censorship um, and what continues to take place where there seems to be a lack of civility, a lack of uh, ability for people to share what they believe in without um, cancelization, persecution, and actually intense labeling, calling people racist, sexist, and any other name in the book. You don't, um, you know, it's one of these things. So we're going to talk about that coming up in the show. But first, let's talk a little bit about what took place here with Will Smith. If you saw the clip, um, Chris Rock was hosting the Oscars, the Academy Awards. I didn't actually watch the Academy Awards, and um, I think many of you probably didn't either. Um, I, I don't pers- particularly personally don't um, want to hear a lot of, of what these elitist Hollywood elites um, have to say. And so I, I have kind of, um, I don't know, not purposely, but I just don't really enjoy watching it anymore. But nonetheless, there was an important moment in the Oscars that now I think everyone's talking about. Will Smith slapping Chris Rock during the Oscars over a joke that Chris Rock made. And now you might stand on either side of this debate of whether or not the slap was justified, whether or not it was appropriate, whether or not we should call Will Smith out for being crazy or Chris Rock for being insensitive. Let's talk a little bit about it. So Chris Rock makes a joke about Will Smith's wife because um, she's bald. He makes a joke referring to her as the next G.I. Jane. And so from the outset, you might say, well, I don't get what the big deal is here. G.I. Jane, what's what's the reference? Well, the reason why this was a big deal for um, many people, including Will Smith and his wife, was Will Smith's wife has a uh, disease where she has now become bald and has lost her hair and is uh, what what based off what we know is unable to uh, grow a full set of hair. She's shaved her head now. She's bald, and so a joke regarding her baldness. Um, originally, you see in the clip, Will Smith actually is is laughing at the joke. I don't know if he fully understood it or if it was the moment when he looked over at his wife's face and saw her sadness and her grief um, at the joke, and that's when Will Smith took to the stage, rushed Chris Rock, and slapped him across the face and told him to keep his his wife's mouth name out of his mouth. And so you, you might say, well, that was aggressive. And yes, it was. And no, we don't like to see violence uh, uh, ever take place. I'm, I'm not one to advocate for such violence. But the question of comedy, the question of whether or not this joke by Chris Rock was truly even funny, appropriate, or, or even acceptable for the Oscars. And I, I suppose that could be the next question we ask. But before we dive completely into this, I think there's an important thing. I, I saw Denzel Washington, a famous actor, he responded to it, and he he made an important note. He said that at the highest moments, that's when the devil is most likely to attack you, and he's after you. So Will Smith, if you don't know the full story here, Will Smith slaps Chris Rock, then right pretty much not even minutes later um, is awarded Best Actor for his portrayal of um Richard Williams in the movie King Richard, um, that's regarding the story of Serena Williams and Venus Williams, the famous tennis athletes. And so he wins Best Actor at the Academy Awards, and just moments before, um, many people are calling it an assault on Chris Rock. 
And so I want to share my thoughts. I already said I'm I'm not pro-violence, but the question I have for you is, do you think that you would be able to pass this test if you would have been in the similar position as Will Smith? Maybe you're not prone to violence. Maybe you don't have a temper. So you'd say, well, obviously I wouldn't, I would not have slapped him. But let me, let me just share a little bit about this from um, perhaps what Will Smith was going on, what was going on in that perspective. So Will Smith sees his wife mourning and, and broken by the joke of Chris Rock. He sees her hurt. He knows what's going on behind the camera that we don't fully know about. Maybe she's dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts because of her, her illness where she's no longer to have um, be able to grow her hair. And so he saw that pain. He had originally laughed at it. And he saw his wife's pain, looked into her eyes, and he reacted. Almost as though he needed to protect her. And while I thought about it, and I, I wanted to be objective about it, I thought to my own reaction, my own personal thought about it, and how I would have, have probably responded likewise. If I was married, and um, I, I saw my wife get insulted on national television for a disease that she had, that she was struggling with, that caused her mental anguish, that caused her hurt inside, and then for a comedian to call it out, make a joke about it on national television? I don't know. I, I think I might have reacted in a strong manner just like Will Smith. And so I think we need to have grace. We have to understand that we're all human. We all make mistakes. And not to quickly just throw Will Smith out as these crazy temper tantrum people Yes, it wasn't appropriate to slap someone. Yes, it's a form of assault, I suppose. But the question I have to ask you is, is was it somewhat warranted? Well, that's for you to answer. I understand the perspective. Chris Rock, he's a famous comedian. It's particularly, perhaps even some would say an honor to have a joke, to be teased by Chris Rock because he's that famous of a comedian. But I just think there's got to be a line between what is comedy and what isn't comedy. Calling someone who has a disease, making a joke about their baldness because of an illness that they have, I just think it crosses the line. That's my take. And, and as I was thinking of this story, it actually reminded me a little bit of Peter in the Bible. And you might say, well, this is a stretch, so bear with me. If you think it's a stretch, it, it is a little bit of a stretch. But I got to be honest with you. While I was thinking about it, this is what came to my head, so I'm going to share it. Remember when Peter, um, he, he didn't want Jesus to be arrested. He didn't want him to be persecuted. He loved Jesus deeply. And when a, one of the guards came to arrest Jesus, do you remember how he reacted? Well, he pulled out his sword and he cut off the guy's ear. Clearly, Peter didn't know what all was going on here, how God was going to, God had a plan and ordained Jesus to die on the cross to save us of our sins. He, he was so narrowly focused on the pain of, and the love, the overwhelming love he had for God and for Jesus that he didn't want him to be arrested. So he reacted in such a manner as to pull out a sword and slice off the man's ear. Obviously, Jesus rebuked it, healed the man's ear because he didn't want anyone to hurt. 
But can we, in our life, be a lot like Peter? And, and may I say, could we be, in our own life, a lot like Will Smith? I know, wait, you just compared Peter and Will Smith. Well, yeah, I actually did. And the reason why I did it is because they're both fallible humans. They're both capable of misunderstanding something and being so overwhelmed by their love for another person that they do something that is not completely logical. And so when we address the situation here with Chris Rock and Will Smith and all the drama in Hollywood again, I think it's fair to point out that we should judge it also by a intent, a moral intent. And so looking deeper in the surface, we see, well, Will Smith's desire wasn't to hurt anyone, I don't believe. It seemed to me that he was overwhelmed by love for his wife and upset that he, she had just been made fun of. Seeing her pain in her eyes, he took to the stage to try to stand up for her. He didn't use words, though. He took action, physical action, and that was faulty. That was sinful. And just like Peter, who sliced off the man's ear, it wasn't right. But can we not at this moment recognize a little bit with Will and say, well, you know, we all make mistakes. We all fall short. But his intent wasn't to be this aggressive, macho man and attack a comedian. His intent was to protect his wife, and for that, whatever it's worth, we should be able to come to that conclusion. And whatever your thoughts are on this issue, maybe it's silly that I just spent 13 minutes talking about it. That, that's probably true, but I, it's just the to hot topic of the day, so I wanted to bring it up. If you want to share your thoughts with me about this Will Smith-Chris Rock controversy, or maybe how you think it doesn't at all connect with Peter, or maybe it does in, in another way that I didn't even think of, feel free to email me. My email, youngrm21 at gcc.edu, youngrm21 at gcc.edu. So let's switch topics a little bit. It's still connecting, and this is regarding uh, the principles of free speech and the right for all people to speak freely. So we think about Chris Rock. We thought we thought about his joke. We thought we said, "Hey, that's insensitive. It wasn't really appropriate." I think we can most people can agree on that. But see, let's tie it into free speech rights. So we have the free speech to say these inappropriate jokes. We have the free speech to share our beliefs, to articulate clearly our political preferences without fear of persecution. That is what the First Amendment is designed to be, designed for all citizens to freely express their opinions, their beliefs. And so I want to share a story. A woman, Kristen Wagoneer, she's general counsel at a company called Alliance Defending Freedom. It's the largest legal organization that protects religious freedom, free speech, parental rights, and the right to life. And um, she went to Yale Law School prestigious law school, known all around the world. So she was there. She was representing Alliance Defending Freedom, where a key part, quote, this is a quote here, a key part of our mission is to keep the doors open for the gospel. I stood alongside my fellow panelist, a liberal atheist representing the American Humanist Association, which uses the tagline, good without a God. In many ways, quote, we couldn't disagree more with each other on some of the most fundamental issues, but significantly, we were there to discuss the common ground we found in a U.S. Supreme Court case. Quote, I had argued on protecting free speech at public colleges and universities. In essence, our discussion was meant to model how to engage in civil discourse in a polarizing world. And 
unquote. I bet you could guess exactly what happened here at Yale Law School. So she she went there to speak on behalf of the Alliance Defending Freedom with an atheist speaker as well, speaking specifically about the importance of free speech. And she was shouted at, yelled at, labeled and hated, and, and, and called all sorts of horrible names. The Yale Law School students took to the room, started banging on the walls, on the desks, and didn't even allow her to speak. She was needed. She needed escorted out of the building with police. Insane, right? We're talking about a woman going there to speak about free speech, going there to speak about the importance of having an open dialogue, of, about having civility in such a polarizing time. And the law school students, who are supposed to be America's most brightest future lawyers, jurists, legislators, corporate executives, but guess what? They would rather bang on walls, engage in name-calling and physical intimidation than to actually engage with people and ideas that they dislike. Crazy, right? I wanted to bring that to your attention simply because I think we're living in that world right now. Where people aren't able to actually say what they believe, or if they do say what they believe, they're labeled hateful. They're shouted over. And so I ask you, uh, what can we do to bring back a civil discourse, an ability for all people to be represented and heard in the marketplace of ideas? Maybe this is just a no longer possible in the society that we live in. Is that the case? Because that would be tragic if so. Or maybe we can actually start taking the time to Listen to someone or at least allow them to speak. And if you're not interested in hearing what they have to say, instead of impeding their ability to communicate, just don't go. I don't think it's that complicated. Let me share a quote that she said regarding this specific thing. Quote, even the American Bar Association recognizes civility as a foundation for democracy and the rule of law and urges lawyers to set a high standard for civil discourse as an example for others. The American Bar Association adds that public discourse lies at the heart of American democracy. People can and will have different views on matters of public concern, it is, and it is the engagement of that diversity that is the political process. So true. The very premise of what they're learning about, these Yale students that shouted at her, the very purpose of why they're in Yale at law school is to learn how to engage in public discourse about the most important principles, a foundation for democracy and the rule of law. And what's worse than what took place with the Yale Law School students is the fact that Yale Law School administrators actually responded to this in an even more egregious way. They actually were fine with the students' conduct. Even though the students violated the campus policy on free expression and reportedly caused such a ruckus that nearby classes, tests, and everything had to be either canceled or completely disturbed in the whole entire law school. Even though all that took place, they said that uh, police were not even necessary to be in the building. And they actually defended the mob in a week statement issued just a week later. Let's see if I can pull that up for you. Yeah, they defended 
those students who threatened conservative panelist Kristen Wagoneer during a debate last Thursday. Let's see if I can get a specific quote here for you. At the very start of the March 10 event, when students began to make noise, the moderator read the university free speech policy for the first time, the school said. At that point, the students exited the event and it went forward. Then students made noises in the hallways. Administrators and staff instructed the students to stop. As Ordina has always said, the bedrock commitment of a university community is the ability to speak freely, and we have allowed all people to speak even when their speech is flatly inconsistent with our values. Did you catch that? So the Yale University Law School actually went so far as not only to condone the behavior, to, to support the behavior of their students that weren't even allowing the very principle of why they were speaking their free speech, but they went a step further by saying that, you know, the principles of what this lady was saying wasn't even a part of what we believed. It wasn't even a central message of what we're talking about. And folks, this is the world we're living in right now. The idea that we can't have a civil discourse, a civil conversation with those that disagree with us, that we have become so polarized as to not even listen, to resort to being kindergartners again, slapping, slapping desks, screaming at them, making as much noise as possible. It's like, remember the days when you were maybe in kindergarten? Or maybe you have a sibling, a younger sibling or an older sibling. When you said something that bothered them, they'd go, no, 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 I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Remember those days? Why are we now resorting to childlike efforts to silence another person with our supposedly most intellectually curious people in America? Yale Law students. Maybe that's too generous of me to say that they're the most curious people in America, Yale Law students. I suppose not so. I suppose it's become just an echo chamber like every other platform that we have now. Very tragic, very sad. And hopefully, the audience, you listening right now, Hopefully you'll at least give someone the opportunity that you disagree with to at least speak, at least allow them to share their ideas without shouting over them, calling them names, or canceling them from society. That's just the most basic thing that you could give them. And I think what's core of the very Constitution, the very principles of our nation and its founding. I'm Ryan Young, and this is The Ryan Young Show live right now on the Wolverine Broadcast Network. It's so great to be here. Hopefully you're still listening. We've got so much more to come. Don't go anywhere. All right, everybody, I got some good news for you. I know that was a little bit depressing, a little bit sad to think about the fact that Yale Law students, supposed to be the most intellectually curious people in our world, are silencing people simply because they disagree with them, resorting to childlike behavior. But here, let me share something that's a little good, a little bit uplifting. You know how we're all dealing with this, these issues right now, where um, we're seeing all the crises unfolding around our world, and now even our, our gas is so expensive, we're spending money, we're working hard just to put gas in our 
our tanks, to take our kids to school, to go to work and whatnot. Well, a North Carolina gas station decided to do something super, super kind for their community in North Carolina. They actually lowered their gas prices all the way down to $2.25 to give community members a break at the pump. How kind. The price of gas still right now is at near record highs of all time. And the reason for that is still of under international debate. I know we don't want to get too political on the show. I think it's clear that some of the policies of the current administration have caused this, as well as the international crises unfolding in Ukraine and Russia. Um, But nonetheless, we see in Burnsville, North Carolina, a, a small gas station. The owners there decided to take their own cuts, their own loss by providing cheap gas for their community. And the gas station owners said that they want to continue to help people during this difficult time um, and they're willing to take losses and will continue to lower their prices as much as possible without obviously going out of business. Wow, talk about stepping up to the plate right now, local gas station helping out the community in a desperate time where we just so desperately need it. I'm Ryan Young, and this is The Ryan Young Show. Don't go anywhere. We've got an important testimony coming up right now. All right, so every time I do a show, I I like to have someone be able to share their testimony, a story of how God impacted their life, maybe how they became a Christian, a miracle that took place. However it is, we've had so many people across the history of this show send in their testimonies just simply by using the Voice Memos app on your phone. All you got to do, pull it out, hit the record button, and share your story. Send it to me, youngrm21 at gcc.edu, youngrm21 at gcc.edu. And here's the one that we got most recently from a man named Keith, who was homeless at a time. He's got some powerful words for us to listen to. Take a listen. There was a guy by the name of Maurice Stewart, and he sat over on 3rd Street begging for money. I would not give him money, but I would go to Waffle House or somewhere and get him a plate of food. Was an all-city basketball player here in Chattanooga. He did stand-up comedy, and someone slipped something in his drink, and he lost his mind. He was married, had kids, but I would bring him socks and T-shirts and clothes, and and he was like a project for me when I first got here seven years ago. I mean, I I grew up in a single-parent welfare home, but I had a mother who went back to school, got her high school diploma, went on to college, and she actually framed the letter when her her goal was to get off of welfare, not to ride welfare. When you, when you think about the neighborhood I grew up in, it was a village mentality. And if I, if I cursed or did something bad, Miss Smith down the street beat my butt and sent me home, my mother beat my butt and sent me back to Miss Smith. So, now you have the hood mentality. I'm not snitching. And so I have something to say about it, but nobody wants to listen to the truth. You're listening, okay. <laughs> but I mean, you asked me and that's, that's how I feel. I, I, I feel strongly about that. The, I'm, I'm also a member of uh, Big Brothers and Big Sisters of America here in Chattanooga. Uh, my little brother is 16. 
And I got him when he was 12 and he makes good grades and I try to have an influence on him. I didn't have a father. I grew up fatherless. I, I did another uh, radio interview and they refused to air it because I made the statement that black li if black lives matter, then how come we don't have more black men involved in the lives of these young children? Uh, the average black person to get killed in America is 19 to 27 black male. He's killed within a two mile radius of his front door by someone he knows. And you get into the background. I'm from Ferguson, Missouri. So Michael Brown was a criminal, okay? You can't say that as a white man, but I can. I identify myself as an American before a black person. Before an American, the first thing I am, I wanna be identified as a Christian. I got a right to say that because I'm an American because I fought for this country. When you're in a foxhole, look at me, great-great-grandson of a slave, in a foxhole with the great-great-grandson of a Confederate soldier. When we are engaging the enemy, if he dies, I could die. We fight together so we can both live. Our strength is in our unity. So that's why the United States Army does not tolerate racism. I'm the, the minister of the homeless outreach. So I go downtown and feed the homeless people. When I smell them, I smell me, what I used to smell like. That makes me want to pray the more for them. That makes me want to tell them my story because the same guy that delivered me wants to deliver them. I was a bodyguard for drug dealers because they knew I had military experience. Everything was about putting more dope on a pipe. And I'm homeless and on the streets for about 14 years. And one day as I was uh, working on a car in a junkyard for a drug dealer, I was actually plotting to kill the drug dealer for his drugs. And I honestly heard the voice of God say, leave. At first I ignored the voice and then it said it again, and I said, Lord, where will I go? And he said, wherever you go is better than where you are. So I took off walking, and to condense this story, it was two days later, and with blood in my shoes, uh, hungry, dirty, smelling bad, I knocked on the door of a ministry called Stepping Into the Light Ministry. I walked, I walked from North St. Louis County, 27 miles to the city. I had no idea where that ministry was in St. Louis, and that's a big city. And so on the journey I was on, walking with the blisters on my feet, nowhere to go, and looking up and seeing that sign and knocking on the door, the doors open, and I wouldn't forget how I was welcomed in, I was given a bed and a place to stay the things that we take for granted every day to a homeless person, a bar of soap, a towel, clean underwear, a shower, is a gold mine. If that person is willing to walk away, turn from their wicked ways and follow God, like I was at, at the end of my rope, they let me in the ministry, gave me a Bible, introduced me to Jesus Christ, and when I think about how good I live now, my beautiful wife and my home and my cars and, and money in the bank and the joy and the peace I have. I can't go back to that lifestyle.
Why did he bring me out of that? Why did I survive that? I think God brings you out of something so he can use you. A powerful, powerful testimony from Keith. Thank you so much, Keith, for sending this in to us so we could hear the story of how you became a Christian, how you were able to um, really escape a life of homelessness and drugs. Um, and and you heard the voice of God, a powerful part of what you just shared with us. You heard the voice of God say leave as you were a drug dealer's bodyguard because of your military experience. And, uh, and I, I want to share another part that you said, there's strength in unity and that sa- the same God that delivered you can deliver anyone listening to the show and any other homeless people out there in the world. Thank you so much, Keith, for sharing that with us. And hopefully we'll have another one ready for you guys listening next week right here on the Ryan Young Show on the Wolverine Broadcast Network. I'm Ryan Young, and this is the Ryan Young Show. We've got one more wonderful part of the show left before we call it a day. In all of our questions, all of our searching, when we are wrestling, you don't let go The questions come But you remain The battles roar But still you reign And I believe Alright, I've got the question of the day for you if you're ready for it. And you know, I guess this somehow has now become a hard question to answer. And I'm not trying to make a joke out of it, but the question of the day is, how do we define a woman? I know, wait, you might be saying, wait, did he seriously just say that? How do we define a woman? You're going to dedicate how much of the show today to answering how to define a woman. Well, the only reason why I, I thought this was important, and I'm not trying to become political here. I don't believe this is a political issue at all. Actually, I believe it's a moral one. But we've got the current Supreme Court nominee right now, and she was asked a simple question. How do you define a woman? And guess what? The person that's being considered to become a Supreme Court justice, a lifelong sentence to serve on the highest court of the land in the best country in the world, can't tell us uh, how to define a woman. In fact, she, she said that uh, she, she's not a biologist. That's right. She's she's not a biologist, so she's not going to be able to tell us how we can define a woman. And, and this question has become a major issue. We've, we've been seeing this take place really with the left for how long now? Over the course of these last several years, they've dismissed all objective moral truth. They've dismissed any basic understanding of, of science and of, of what God has created in us. Don't believe me? Well, let let me just say something. USA's Today, they just named their Woman of the Year, and their Woman of the Year, USA Today, picked Rachel Levine. Now, if you don't know who Rachel Levine is, um, this person is the Assistant Secretary for Health, and this person is, in fact, a biological male. So not only did USA Today pick um, for their Woman of the Year a biological male, but they also picked a biological male who is, in fact, uh, the assistant secretary for health in the United States government. I think that should speak volumes to you right now. So the very person who's, um, I don't know, the a secretary for health 
and Human Services for America is a biological male pretending to be a woman, a transgender. Time Magazine also just recently named their Woman of the Year, naming um, a celebrity, MJ Rodriguez. You might not know MJ Rodriguez. I never knew the name until I was doing some research. And you might say, well, what, what's strange with MJ Rodriguez? Well, again, Rodriguez was born a biological male. So we've got two famous awards, basically, national magazines, USA Today and Time Magazine, picking biological males for their women of the year. One being even uh, the Assistant Secretary for Health for Health and Human Services. Wow. Can we just take a moment to pause and think about that? If I was a woman, I would be so offended. Two national magazines picking women of the year at both as biological males. And if you've been following what's been taking place in college sports, then you know of um, another story in the NCAA where a biological male continues to beat women in women's sports, specifically swimming. And somehow it's hateful for anyone to say this. Somehow it is um, insensitive and cruel. That is what the media is wanting you to believe. That is what our society is saying. But no, it is not cruel. No, it is not hateful. It's the truth. Truth can't be labeled as hateful or cruel or cruel. It's just the truth. When in our society has stating the truth become evil? become a form of, of potential persecution. Maybe persecution's a strong word, but think about it for a moment. Just recently, we saw the Christian Post, a Christian newspaper online company. Well, they, they were banned from Twitter just this week because of sharing information regarding the fact that Rachel Levine was named USA Today's Woman of the Year, and then they spoke of the fact that this person was in fact a biological male. So because they shared the truth on Twitter, they were censored, they were removed from the platform for spreading information that was hurtful and harmful to the community. Among others, Babylon B, a satire company, banned from Twitter for the same thing. Among others, conservative podcaster Charlie Kirk. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Now, if you remember from the beginning of the show, I said that the local school paper here at, at, at Grove City, the Collegian, did an article about the show and about me. And what the article was actually about was regarding, if none other than censorship, I was actually also permanently suspended from Twitter. My suspension was a lot, a lot, a long time ago. Before Trump, actually, but for the same type of thing, for sharing information, for sharing the truth, for having a voice that went against the mainstream media mob, that went against the global elites, that went against what everyone else was trying to convince us that was a lie. 
So now we are living in a society where you speak the truth and you're silenced. You speak the truth, you're muzzled. You speak the truth, you're persecuted. You speak the truth and you're labeled a terrorist, a hateful, racist, sexist, homophobe. Wow. So I I am a little bit fired up. And so, yes, that is the reason why I picked this question. How do we define a woman? Now, I... I'm not going to belittle you by actually defining a woman to you. I know my audience. I know who you are. I know that you know the distinction between a man and a woman. We don't need to go back to physical education or, or any of these health classes in, that we to, to, were given in middle school and high school. You had the talk with your parents. I don't need to do it again. But my goodness, how many people in our society actually don't know the distinction, the God-given beauty that he made two very distinct people, a man and a woman, with beautiful, distinct roles. And oh, my heart breaks for those people that are so lost, so blind, so unable to see what God actually created and what God had called them to be. And so my job isn't to yell at the people that identify as opposite of what God made them to be. No, we shouldn't do that. No, we shouldn't hate them. No, we shouldn't even judge them. The only thing we should be judging is the fact that we're not allowed to share the truth anymore. That other people are trying to muzzle us from speaking up and sharing biblical truth. That's a scary world we live in. As to the people like Rachel Levine, MJ Rodriguez, Leah Thomas, our job is to pray for them. Our job is to show Christ's love lived out to them. That they might have their eyes opened, the shackles taken off of them, and be set free in the name of Jesus Christ. How do you define a woman? Who knew that in 2022 I'd have to be asking that question? What a sad state of affairs. Recently at a Grove City College, we had a pastor come and speak. His name's Kevin DeYoung. He's famous. Now, um, he's written several books. He published uh, an article trying to actually expose exactly what all is going on here with how confusing the progressives have become in trying to keep their, their story straight on sex and gender. The title is, We Live in Confusing Times. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. He, he, he's attempting to, to show us this intellectual exercise of basically intellectual gymnastics of how we'd have to accept one thing and dismiss another, accept one thing and dismiss another when it comes to gender. So here we go. Quote, gender is a social construct, period. At the same time, it's always good when women can break glass ceilings. We should celebrate all the first that we see women do because women are certainly not men. By women, of course, I mean anyone who identifies as a woman, including people we used to know as men. Sex is a socially derived category that assigns certain physical differences and then labels those differences as male or female. There are no immutable distinctions between a man or a woman, and we are all on a spectrum and we can all change. 
Unless, of course, we're talking about sexual desire. Coming out as gay or lesbian is something we should all be proud of because uh, people can't change the way they were actually born. In fact, it should be illegal for doctors and counselors and religious leaders to try to change people who were, quote, born a certain way. Uh, but, But some people definitely should be able to change the way they were born in terms of gender, and doctors and counselors and religious leaders should be should do everything they can to encourage this change. Sometimes our bodies don't align with our true selves. Never forget your self identity is your genuine identity. But except when it comes to your race and your ethnicity, then you uh, never can claim an ethnic or racial identity that isn't yours. You have to be careful because um, what, what, what you eat or what you wear, you could actually be appropriating someone else's culture. But, but, then, but you are allowed to appropriate someone else's gender or go with no gender at all. We, all have, we, we have all been socialized into a gender system that tells us how we have to think and act. And the sooner we do away with the notion of gender binary altogether, the better. But then you, you must also remember, women have been held back by the evils of patriarchy. Women are, are oppressed, men are oppressors, and, and that's just a fact. Not that, quote, women or, quote, men are anything more than fluid or culturally conditioned modes of self-identification. And on and on and on Kevin DeYoung goes, making beautiful points of showing really the, the length and the breadth of hypocrisy taking place right now in the progressive movement of trying to distinguish between sex and gender and how confused it even is. If you want to read the full story, share it with people, uh, because I think it really does expose the, the absolute, frankly, the idiocy of it all. Just search the title, We Live in Confusing Times, Kevin DeYoung, and you'll be able to find that article there. I'm Ryan Young. This has been The Ryan Young Show. We've talked about a lot of different things, a lot of important things right here on the show today. It was a privilege to have you join me, and I hope I'll see you next week right here on the Wolverine Broadcast Network. We talked with about Will Smith, uh, heard a powerful testimony from Keith, and answered, I guess, now an important question, how to define a woman. Anyways, feel free to reach out to me. My email, youngrm21 at gcc.edu. See you next time.